You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. Morning, everyone. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing Kingdom Tasters. So we're talking about miracles. It's going to be a miracle if I pull this off. Uh, I've had one of those weeks where Luke got up at 530 and then 5, and then 4.30, and then 4, and you think, when's it going to stop? Um, thankfully, it sort of stopped at somewhere between 4 and 5. Um, but uh, hopefully you'll bear with me as I sort of pick up the pieces of my brain um, uh, in front of you this morning. Um, so I wanted to look at miracles. Uh, well, I was asked to look at miracles. Um, and... I started thinking, oh, what, what of Jesus' miracles? I really like the coin in the fish's mouth because I think it's just audacious Jesus, you know. We've got to pay, but we won't, you know, pay it out of our pocket. We'll take it out of that fish's mouth over there. I think it's just demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God, his authority over worldly authorities, um, and just the power of, yeah, of God. It's a great story, but I have talked on that before a few years ago, so I didn't do that. Um, what I felt like I wanted to talk about was the power of, uh, of Jesus' uh, knowledge, his divine-inspired uh, knowledge, things that sort of dropped into his head. You know, we talk about Jesus being uh, fully God and fully human, and he says that I only do the things that I see the Father doing, which meant he, wait for, he waited for direction to do everything. Um, and so I wanted to look at Jesus with the Samaritan woman in John 4. Um, and it's probably going to come up on the screen. Uh, sorry? I'm ready. Thank you, Dave. Um, I'll read it as well. Um, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciple had gone to the village to buy food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're currently living with. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me why it is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, 
Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to me. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And then it skips forward a bit. Um, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. So it's quite a cool story. Um, It starts by Jesus being tired and sitting down and then taking advantage of a situation and bringing an entire village to faith. Um, She becomes... Uh, the woman at the well becomes probably the first uh, preacher of the good news, uh, and she's a woman. She's also a Samaritan, um, so it's a fairly countercultural story as well. Um, and the reason why I picked this one is that I, uh, partially because of Luke and sleep, uh, I'm feeling a bit all over the place, and like I don't really have any direction, and that I sort of get blown around by the wind a little bit, fighting fires. Work's very busy, and you sort of bounce from one job to the next job, and you never feel like you're necessarily doing anything particularly well. Um, and so I felt a bit stalled in my, in my spiritual life, like I'm not sure what I'm doing or where I'm going. Um, and what I wanted us to remember is that Jesus can break through in any of those circumstances with miraculous knowledge and that we don't need to necessarily be, uh, well, we don't need to be striving. We don't need to be striving and working hard to see the kingdom break through. Um, I can't remember what book it was, but they said you can either see God as a man in the sky throwing light bolt, lightning bolts down and changing, changing things where those hit, or you can see him as the undercurrent below everything and he breaks through in specific moments in time and space. Uh, And it's that that God is in charge and in control, and he breaks through. Uh, And I know Lizzie uh, spoke about uh, the now and not yet of the kingdom a few weeks ago. God breaks through and does miraculous things in our midst. Um, And I don't know, we've talked uh, a fair bit about a guy called John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he has these three phrases, which is be with Jesus become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus did, which is sort of what we're trying to do at Exeter Vineyard with um, our discipleship groups, uh, is being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, asking that question, what's Jesus saying to me right now, and what am I going to do about it, is part of becoming like Jesus. And then that hopefully will take us on to doing uh, the things that Jesus did. Um, But over the last few weeks, or months probably, um, I came across a bit of a stumbling block in my own theology, which uh, I suddenly realized that um, I'd picked up this false, well, this lie, that Jesus was only at work, or the Holy Spirit is only at work in the lives of people that already know him, and our job is to somehow force it into them. And I thought, I don't believe that, but somehow my brain tells me that that is some knowledge that I've acquired. So I don't know where that's come from, um, but it's not true. Uh, Jesus is at work in everyone's life, including a village of Samaritans preparing their hearts to hear the word, um, preparing the woman at the well to uh, hear his words and accept uh, his offer of living water. 
Um, and it's not just for the Jews either. That's what Jesus said. You know, he says that um, uh, salvation comes to Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is now where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Um, and so being with Jesus, what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to say is that I'm having to unlearn some things at the minute, which feels a bit deconstructive. It feels a bit weighty. It feels like I'm not really going anywhere. I'm quite uh, kind of target goals orientated. I want this, this month, I am giving my money away to the poor. This month, I'm doing this. This month, I'm doing that. And it feels like I'm not really going anywhere. But somewhere, somehow, God is working on me on the inside because I'm finding these things and learning that actually I've learned some untruths and I'm having those de deconstructed in me. Whilst I'm doing that, um, what is happening is that God is overflowing out of my life by, somewhat by accident. Um, I have had a few instances in the last few weeks um, uh, where people have come up to me and said, oh, I've heard that you're a Christian, Adam. Tell me about that. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, okay. Uh, and someone said, oh, I've just, I said, oh, no, someone said, oh, I'm talking on Sunday. Oh, you're, are you religious? I said, well, I'm, I wouldn't call it religious, but yes, I believe in God. And she goes, oh, that's great banter we're going to have another time. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, good. So I'm really looking forward to those conversations. Um, and a few weeks ago, a friend of mine said to me, Adam, I read the whole Bible from cover to cover when I was a teenager, and it didn't change my life. Can you tell me why? And I thought, uh. um, And so I guess the point I wanted to make was that Samaritan woman was going about her day-to-day -day life, and God is forcing his way into my life, even though I feel like I have no particular spiritual direction. And it's a bit like Hannah's story earlier, that God intrudes on our, on our life, and we have a choice then to, you know, what to do about it, either to bat it away or go, oh, I'm too tired for this, or to try and engage in those conversations. Um, and I think it's only through being, being with Jesus that, because I haven't shouted about being a Christian in my department, but somehow people keep finding out and keep asking me to explain things to them. Um, or people have conversations about Jesus around me. I heard someone... Uh, in my office was saying, uh, yeah, they got on talking about Jesus. And someone said, yeah, he's a madman, um, wasn't he? And I had to point out that they were quoting the most famous Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, that he was either a madman or the son of God, um, to which it kind of proves that no one really knows what they're talking about, which is maybe why they come asking questions. Um, so the, the point is that we, the best thing that we can do... Um, when we're not sure where we're going or what we're doing, is to be completely ourselves. The most compelling thing that we can be is ourselves to those around us. Um, because if we're living our chocolate milk life, as we would talk about Exeter Vineyard, rather than a segmented orange, where church is one part, where we are living um, in all of those securities that we've talked about, then people will come and ask questions because they see that something is perhaps different about the way we operate. Um, and I have been reading various books, and I read a book by Henry Nouwen, um, and he talked uh, really interestingly, it sort of, I read this and I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is how I feel, um, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's about the Dutch painter Vincent van Gogh, um, who was a Christian, and 
apparently he was really, well, he was, he felt stuck. He felt like he wasn't having an impact. He wasn't changing the world. Uh, he wasn't bringing God into the lives of those around them. And Henry Nouwen says, um, our first and foremost task is to faithfully care for the inner fire so that when it is really needed, it can offer warmth and light to lost travelers. Nobody expressed this with more conviction than the Dutch painter Vincent van Gogh. And Vincent van Gogh said, There may be a great fire in our soul, yet no one ever comes to warm himself at it, and the passerby only see a wisp of smoke coming through the chimney and go along their way. Look, here, now what must be done? One must tend the inner fire, have salt in oneself, wait patiently, yet with how much patience for the hour when somebody will come and sit down, maybe to stay, let him who believes in God wait for the hour that will come sooner or later. And Henry Nouwen continues, Vincent van Gogh speaks here with the mind and the heart of the Desert Fathers. He knew about the temptation to open all the doors so that the passerbys could see that you were really on fire and it wasn't just smoke coming through the chimney. But he also realized that if that happened, the fire would die and no one would find warmth for the long run. His own life is a powerful example of faithfulness to the inner fire. During his life, nobody came to sit down at his fire, but today, thousands have found comfort and consolation in his drawings, paintings, and letters. Um, and so when, when we're feeling stuck, when, when we're not sure where we're going, I feel like what we are doing at Exeter Vineyard is, is learning to tend that inner fire, learning to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus, so that hopefully... At one, one point or another, when someone comes to us, we can do what Jesus did. And I think uh, what God's been talking about for this talk is doing what Jesus did, is waiting for his voice to break into our life and to share that with others. Um, I don't know if you've ever, ever had a, a, an experience of that happening. Um, I remember I was at the National Leaders Conference one year, um, and the, oh, I can't even remember the word now. Uh, some word dropped into my head. It was a name. Um, and it was just one name, and I thought, I've got to go and tell that guy, Paul, over there, this name. And I, I, I don't know, I, he was looking for a girlfriend, and I was, I was like, oh, it's a girl's name, so, you know, may, maybe this means something to him. Uh, anyway, I said that to him, and then he started crying, uh, and it turned out that he was planning to go to America on some year-long evangelistic mission thing, and then he was also thinking about not going because he had just met a girl. <laughs> and uh, the name was the tiny village in, you know, rural America in the deep south somewhere uh, that this place was. And it was God telling him, you need to go and do what you know you need to go and do, not just not do it because you fancy this girl that's here. Um, he's happily married now, not to that girl. Um, <laughs> But the point is, is that, you know, God can break through. And I just, I, I just, I didn't know what that was about, but I shared it with him. And in some ways, that is a miracle that God's miraculous knowledge breaks through into our day to day. And we have the power and the authority to share that with people, that we can change people's lives. Um, and whether that is through, through words or whether it's through painting and then dying and then thousands of people coming to see God through your paintings, um, it doesn't really matter. Um, some of the uh, signs of the inner fire burning in my life, because again, I've been blown around a bit, I wasn't sure, um, is that I keep crying at things, uh, which 
isn't very me particularly, but I, about four times in the last month I've been driving along somewhere and listening to worship music and then I start crying and I think, oh, God, get a grip. Um, I've started crying at TV that's nice. <laughs> uh, when something nice happens to someone else. And I think it's, it's, it's God's heart for the goodness of, of the world, of mankind, that brings something up in me. If I ever hear a story of what God has done, goodness in someone's life, I hate going to conferences now because I keep, you know, they, there's always so-and-so did this and they were healed or, you know, whatever. And then I start crying and it's very embarrassing. Um, but that's one example. Uh, another example uh, has been um, those stories that I've always shared of people coming to me and asking me questions. Um, and indeed... The uh, fellowship group at, at university in my department that I've talked to people about before here um, has now grown to about 30 people, which is exciting. Um, so we meet and chat about God um, at university. Um, and for some reason, I'm still in charge of that, and I'm terribly organized at the minute. Um, but people keep coming. Um, and God is doing something. I don't know what it is, um, but that's okay. Um, so when we're stuck and we're tending the inner fire, um, the question for me, because I'm target and goals orientated and want to get somewhere, is what do I do now? Um, and one of the things that God has been speaking to me about is uh, just watching and waiting. Uh, and sometimes, I don't know if any of you have these things, but I have this weird little thing with God where when the wind blows a, a tree, sometimes there's a leaf that just does this like rapidly. And for some reason in my head, it dropped into my head that that was God waving at me, which is a bit weird. <laughs> um, but I see it all the time. So I see these instances of God in nature, and it reminds me often when I'm on my way to work that God is doing something. I don't know what it is, but God is doing something. Um, and he's at work in all people. Uh, and one of the last things that made me cry was <laughs> reading C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, um, and the particular bit at the end, and I'm, I don't know, I might cry now. <laughs> um, uh, right, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, where does it go? Here we go. Oh, I've lost it again. Uh, <laughs> okay, there we go. Then I fell at his feet and thought, oh, this is, I should probably give some context. It's right at the end of the book. Uh, there's a character called Shasta. Uh, he has been uh, serving Tash which is a god, not the god, not Aslan in the story. Aslan is the god. Tash is a false god. He's been serving Tash his whole life, and he comes face to face with Aslan. And he said, um, Then I fell at his feet, feet and thought, Surely this is the hour of death, for the lion who is worthy of all honor will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. Nevertheless, it is better to see the lion and die than to be the Tisrock of the whole world and live to have not seen him. But the glorious one that is Aslan bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, Son, thou art welcome. But I said, Alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but the servant of Tash. He answered, Child, all the service you have done to Tash, I account as service done to me. Then by reasons of my great desire for wisdom and understanding, I overcame my fear and questioned Aslan and said, Lord, is it true then, as the great ape said, that you and Tash are the same thing? The lion growled, so the earth shook, but his wrath was not against me, and he said, it is false. Not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites. 
I take to me the services which thou hast done to him, for I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and no service which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swears an oath by Tash and keeps it, for the oath's sake it is by me he has truly sworn, though he know it not, and it is I who reward him. And if any man do a cruelty in my name, then although he says the name Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves, and by Tash his deed is accepted. Do you understand, child? I said, Lord, you know how much I understand. But I said also, for the truth constrained me, yet I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said Aslan, the glorious one, unless your desire had been for me, you would not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. And for me, that's just um, the goodness of God, that, um, that he is at work in everyone's life, as I started, that he is trying to draw them to him, and our job is to just uh, wait and listen and see what he has to say and to share it with those people, and then they will come into the fullness of knowing God because they already know God, because God is already inside them and God is already at work. And for me, that is probably the, one of the biggest miracles of what Jesus did and what we get to do uh, on this earth is just bring people into the fullness of a relationship with Jesus. Um, even those that seem to be going in the completely wrong direction. That's the point of Tash. He's, he's serving, well, it's not really Satan, but you know, we can draw that parallel. He's serving not God and doing things not for God, but because, just because he doesn't know God, the good he is doing is being done for God because God is good and God started this universe. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to end on that really, that God is at work. We have to build our relationship and tend to that. That's, that's our most important job is just to tend to our relationship with God because when he breaks through... If we are taking care of our inner fire, then we will be prepared to share with the world those miraculous bits of knowledge that drop into our head, all the circumstances that come before us, all the prayers that we get to say for, for struggling colleagues or whatever. Uh, we get the privilege to be able to do those things. And uh, when we no notice him at work, the kingdom will grow. That's the, coming back to the story is that Jesus shares with that Sam Sam a Samaritan woman at the well she goes back to the village and the whole village is saved. You know, that one person has a knock-on effect on many. That we share with, we may only share with one person in our whole life that it makes a difference to, but we never know what will happen from then on. I know the story of Billy Graham, that one little old lady uh, prayed for her, have prayed for him his whole life, uh, and he accounts his entire ministry to her praying for him. You know, she, I'm not entirely sure she even actually prayed for him in his space. I don't really know. I don't know the fullness of the story. Um, but small actions can have big consequences in the kingdom. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, www.exe.vin. Thank you.